Welcome, everybody, to the Vantage Worldwide Panama Edition, brought to you by Abacus Worldwide. Vantage examines the opportunities and potential challenges of doing business across the globe. And each month, experts from the Abacus membership share insights into the business environment in their country, providing you with highlights of what is required for international expansion. So please uh, join me in welcoming our panelists. We have from G&G. G&G uh, was founded in Panama 17 years ago and provides professional auditing and assurance services, uh, outsourcing, uh, advisory and consulting on uh, taxation, finance, uh, capital markets, information technology, uh, human resources, etc. And the firm's objective is to support its clients by providing customized services focused on the industry where it operates. And representing G&G is Christian Sedeno, uh, who is a founding partner of the firm. He's a financial technician and certified public accountant in Panama and holds an MBA in business management. He has a securities principal uh, license granted by the Securities Market uh, Superintendency of Panama and is also a certified anti-money laundering specialist. So welcome, Christian. As well as then we have Kramer & Kramer. Uh, that's a full service law firm uh, established in Panama in 2008. It currently has offices in Panama City, David Shiriki, and uh, Isla Colon Bocas del Toro. Uh, I hope my pronunciation was correct. Uh, Kramer Kramer assists his clients mostly with immigration law, real estate, tax law, trademark, business, and corporate law, as well as asset protection. And Marcus Kramer is a founding partner of the firm. He's a licensed attorney uh, since 2006 with an MBA in business management. He's also fluent in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. And uh, my name is Werner Triloff. I'm the Latin American Regional Director for Abacus Worldwide. Uh, today, I'll be the moderator for the session. This is an interactive session, so please feel free to send through any questions directly to me in the private chat, and we'll do our best to answer all during the session. Uh, important to note, though, that uh, those questions that we don't have time to answer will be answered afterwards uh, in a summary email. So, without, uh, without further ado, for this is a question for both uh, panelists. Christian, let's start with you. What would you say? is some of the reasons why Panama is still a good place to, to invest in. Well, Panama, as, as you know, is a, has a strategic position in the, in the region and, and also has developed uh, um, many things that make it very uh, important, not only in the region, but in the world. The, the economic perspective for Panama is very strong. Even with, with the crisis we, we are still in for the COVID-19, it's expected to emerge stronger than other countries in Latin America. We've seen like a report from Bank of America and other firms. I think the World Bank has, has, has forecasted the GDP for, for Panama is roughly about growth of about 10% for 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's very strong for the region. Yes, yes. The, the economic perspective for Panama is very strong. Uh, even with the with the things we are we're going through, and also we uh, we are expected to to recover very well and better than other um, Latin American uh, countries in there. So um, Panama is this, the the second country in Latin America with the high highest economic growth. That like you said, the, the World Bank estimates that for two thousand twenty one is going to be like ten percent growth, recovering from the contraction that we had of six point eight percent in two thousand twenty. So um, it's very positive, our, our forecast. Okay, also, people tend to have a lot of confidence in Panama because we are a dollarized uh, economy. So 
people from the region like Costa Rica, from Nicaragua, El Salvador, they, they prefer to have the, the money in Panama, given that we also have a very stable, relatively stable political environment. So they tend to, to trust in the, in the legal system in Panama better than they do in their own countries. The management of COVID in Panama has been one of the best of the region. Almost 75% of the people are vaccinated. The restrictions are, are getting loose here in Panama also, and we are reopening very well. So it's a very, very positive difference from other countries in Panama. We are a banking center. We have almost 10 banks, 10 international, 100 international banks that are, are based in Panama. It's been for, for long. We are... We are the largest international banking center in the world, apart from, I mean, after Switzerland, of course. We have mm -hmm. the Panama Canal. And we, as I said before, it also prepares us to be like, like we are uh, right now, the hub of the Americas, one of the names, because we, I mean, the column-free zone, the special zones from where there's no tax and also um, promotes uh, imports and exports, okay, our logistics. Mm -hmm. The Panama Canal is, I mean, it's a very important thing that we have there. You know, I, I believe that creates trust in the system. And Marcos, what would you say? What is your your perception of why Panama is is still a good place to to invest for foreign investors? Thank you, Christian. I would basically say because Panama, Panama has it all. Why? Uh, investors usually, when they investors or companies, uh, they look for certain factors to invest in the country. They need economic stability, financial stability political stability, legal stability, weather stability, and Panama has it all. For example, Panama lands right there on the equatorial line where we have two oceans, we have no, no storms, no, no earthquakes, so we are territorially safe. We have a US dollar-based economy forever, so financially it's safe. As Christian mentioned, we, we have a very strong financial system in the country. Basically, we have one of the biggest uh, banking system in the world. You know, Hong Kong is a big one, Panama is a big one. And maybe <laughs> we're proud to say that we have 60 to 100 different banks in the country. And for some countries, that's not big enough. But when you consider that Panama only has a population of about 4 million people, that's pretty big. That's a lot. Okay. Uh, Panama also has a lot of double tax treaties, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, that yeah. also, apart from the financial structure, it also assists in, in doing business with other countries. That's, that's correct. Panama has a uh, double taxation treaties with certain countries. We also have, uh, uh, and Christian can, can also progress on this point, Panama also has a share of information treaties, uh, uh, agreements actually, TCIs or so we call it. Uh, and, uh, and we also have an agreement, a uh, business agreement with the United States uh, or territorial system. It's a, it's a, we have the tax territorial system. So it's very important in the world, uh, the most common territorial taxation system is the worldwide income. Uh, a second system is the no income like you find in Dubai or in Cayman Islands. And we have this mixed system, which is very popular uh, to be the territorial taxation system. And I like to tell my clients, uh, in Panama, uh, you'll find the only country in the world with a territorial tax system uh, based on a US dollar economy. Okay, other systems, Hong Kong, Hong Kong dollar, Uruguay, well, Costa Rica, Colonia and Pesos, so Panama has a territorial taxation system, which is very, uh, very keen for, for investors and with a US dollar based economy. Uh, being the hub of Americas, why we call it that way? Because many fiber optics uh, uh, infrastructure for internet connectivity passes through the Panama Canal to go through North America, South America, and the Caribbean. 
But the airlines, if you're in Panama, you can easily travel to South America, Caribbean, North America, or Europe, mm -hmm. uh, and so for the maritime industry. So Panama has very many advantages, and that can be easily exteriorized when you when you see the many uh, multinationals that are set up in the country, uh, mostly for logistic works, uh, taking advantage of all of the be different benefits, uh, legal benefits, labor benefits, tax benefits, and so on. So you can name them. Uh, on, on that topic, uh, Marcus, uh, what would you say is, that does the Panamanian government offer any incentives for foreign companies to establish uh, in the country? For sure. Uh, one of the one of the first ones that we that comes to mind and everyone is kind of like aware of is the Panama Free Trade Zone that Christian uh, mentioned properly, uh, mm -hmm. which is a hub created uh, in the Colon uh, province of Panama. Basically, just one hour drive from Panama City. By the way, Panama City it's uh, lays on the Pan Pacific Ocean, and by one hour drive you are in the Colon City, which lays on the Atlantic Ocean. So you are sea to sea within one hour drive. So in the Cologne Ocean, you have the free trade zone uh, where many companies uh, established there before the internet, before the globalization we see today, people would, uh, those distribution companies, they would represent the uh, Chinese manufacturers to distribute to, to the entire region, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the first uh, incentives that Panama started many years ago. And now you see many others, like we have incentives for uh, call centers to establish in Panama. So we have a call center law and we have possibly hundreds of call centers established here from small ones, from logistic companies to big ones like HP, Caterpillar and Dell computers. We have, uh, well, the free zone I just mentioned, the Panama Pacific law, uh, which is a region, Panama Pacific region where many companies are established. We have the multinational SEM, in Spanish we call it the SEM, which is an advantage for multinational companies to establish in the country. Uh, last year, the government just created some, some similar to SAM, but for focus on, on processing companies, like industrialized processing companies. So they are targeting that as well. Is there anything, uh, for example, for import or export, discounts on duties or things like that? Of course. It's because the, the free trade zones in Panama are similar to free trade zones in other countries. Advantage we have, location. Location is always key. So Panama is in the center of an entire region. In fact, Panama is in the center of the hemisphere. From, from of Latin America, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the free trade zone areas, basically you are allowed to establish companies here uh, legally, quickly, uh, inexpensively, and import your products on a free tax zone. So you pay no taxes to keep your, your, your products here. And then you can do all of the logistics from this uh, area to cover the entire region, basically. So that, that's, that, that's started by the free, uh, the common free trade zone area. But on the Panama Pacific, we have the same. On the processing, uh, we have now four manufacturing companies. And we also have a law that just came up to mind that it just, it just allows you to replicate the free trade zone area anywhere in the country. So uh, under this other law, you could just, as long as you comply with certain requirements of putting a specific area, uh, size, all fans with security and so on, you are with these inspectors from the government, you're able to establish a free zone any, in any area of the country. And we've seen that developing by the Parque del Este, Costa del Este, a financial park or industrial park, That's and some others in the countryside. That's very interesting. I mean, that, that is very different to, to what I'm used to, for example, in the, the free, uh, free zones in Uruguay or 
free zones in other countries where it's very specific, a specific place that you need to set up your, your operation. So that's, that's very interesting. Christian, what would you say is the principal uh, sectors and, and uh, industries of, of the Panama, of the Panama uh, economy? Basically, it's the service sector. The service sector is okay. in, uh, like 80% of the GDP of Panama because uh, we, we almost, I mean, not, not that we don't do it, but we, we don't produce many things, okay? So we do, we do, we have, a, we produce cement, drinks, uh, textiles, and other things. We manufacture, we manufacture like spare parts for aircrafts. Apart from that, we, we export uh, bananas, shrimp, sugar, coffee, clothing. But the main economic sector is service sector and the banking, service. commerce. Like with the, we were discussing the column-free trade zone, insurance companies, I mean, container port, flagship registry, I mean, legal services, medical and health tourism. Uh, and that's our uh, uh, our main sector, but it, it, that's what we, we do. The, for, for interesting, and that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a redundant question with, with the two of you already speaking very good English, but uh, I imagine that the, the majority of the population is bilingual, Spanish, uh-huh. uh, English, and, and maybe some other, other languages as well. There is a big part of the country. I mean, this is a majority. I, I I can I cannot say that, but but the professional class is is, is bilingual. The professional class, the, the people that works in the industries of of service. I mean, the industry service industry is, is has to be bilingual, and there's yeah. a lot of it because it has to be a lot with us being um, you know occupied, not occupied, but, but in agreements with the United States for so long. You and know, it's so close. So, I mean, it's 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 uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's a dollar a dollar based uh, economy. Mm-hmm. Everything else is this long long standing uh, relationship with the US. So uh, mm-hmm. and and where you are based, uh, I can imagine that that linguistic skills uh, makes yeah. life a lot easier. Yeah, that's um, something you don't see in other countries in the region. Other countries in the region, like you know, so you see Venezuela, Costa Rica, I mean Salvador. They're they're not that. It's not it's not as developed in that sense. The language. Yes, the, the the English. Language, that's right. And uh, Marcos, uh, because this is always a question when people go into into a country. What would you say? If, can you give us a brief summary of labor legislation? What what? How does the labor laws work in Panama? Panama follows the the similar criteria than the Latin American region follows. Why don't? Okay. Why do I want to focus on that part? Because we are all from Latin America here, but uh, many of our uh, advocates members uh, they are worldwide, and uh, I can say that. My experience or clients from the United States, for example, they get a little bit shocked when they see the labor laws in Latin America. All right. So all of our colleagues from the region, they, they might have similar experience. First of all, it's very protective of the uh, employees. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by, by, the, by, by the normal historic evolution of the labor laws and so on, uh, and the unions and so on. So uh, if you are establishing a company here in Panama, uh, it's very important that you base, that you see uh, a few factors. First of all, the salary wages, the wages in Panama or the salary base is, is, is lower than, than what it is in some certain countries like in, in America and Canada and so on. Uh, it might be higher than some other countries in Latin America, but, but it's lower than what it is in the North. So, but it's a mistake for, for people who, who initiate operations in Panama to just increase that wage too much because the social costs and the labor costs of the wage like the loss we have are very high. So we always recommend our clients to, to, to calculate an approximately an economics of about 30% from, from the wage on costs. Okay. 30 to 35 or 30 to 40, it depends. Depends if you want to be a little bit more, more conventional or not. 
but because we have so many holidays in Panama, because you have the right of 30, 30, 30 calendar days for every 11 months worked, and because we have uh, the 13th month that's paid, okay, so the year has 12, 12 months, but you pay a 13 month. Uh, we, we joke about the fact that, that you end up working in Panama about 10 months, but you get 13 months of salary. Uh, but it's an effective work of about 10 months or 10 and a half, 10 yeah. and a half months because of the holidays, the vacation, and the 13 months. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and we also and that, that, That's very different, yeah, that, that's very different to, to what, what our American members, for example, are, are used to. It's, it's, and it's very similar to, to Brazil, for example. Brazil, we also have uh, 13 salary, 30 days holidays. Our social cost is about 60 to 70, 70% above salary. So it's, it's very expensive. But it, again, as you mentioned, it's similar in the region. A lot of the countries has followed the similar, same line of, uh, of legislation. Correct. And apart from the, the benefits that are there, can you, for example, in Brazil, uh, once you have a salary, let's say if someone is earning 5,000 US a month, in Brazil, you cannot lower the salary. Uh, you can increase it, but you're not allowed to lower it. Is it similar in Panama? It's a, it's a general uh, labor law principle that you cannot lower the employee's uh, benefits. So yes, it's similar. Okay. There is also some benefits, uh, like for example, in Panama, you can do the types of contracts you can do with employees. Uh, you can do an indefinite term contract or a definite term contract. So if you do a contract, for example, for six months, then it's a six month period and, and that's it, that's legal. Uh, but if you do a contract, an indefinite contract, the law gives you the right to add a clause uh, to do a 90 calendar days probatory period. And okay. that's only allow, allowable on, on, on indefinite contracts. So that means that within the first 90 days, uh, any party can, uh, can, can, can close a relationship without okay. major consequences other than you know, the acquire uh, labor rights during that time frame. Also, after two years of, of permanent uh, uh, work, uh, the employees obtain a permanent status, which means that after two years, an employer can only, uh, can only fire an employee, basically, uh, if they have just cause uh, according to the labor code. So within the first two years, you can fire an employee just because, all right? And you pay whatever rights they have. But after mm -hmm. two years, you, can, you cannot just fire an employee just because you want to. You have to, to actually give them a proper note and telling them the reason why they're being fired and, and quoting the specifics of terms of the or articles of the law while you're firing the person. Uh, it's very common to see people doing mistakes on that regard. Okay, where they just fire okay, it. And if the, if the employee seeks legal assistance, they can actually file a lawsuit against the, the employer and, and actually get, uh, their, get an additional indemnization pay or get uh, a restitution to the job. The rules are very protective to the employees, and there are ma many different details that got to be considered. Uh, reason why I always recommend 30 to 40% additional of the wage as the economics for the cost of employment. And that is also why it's important uh, uh, and, and why Abacus does items like this, like Vantage, where our members and, and uh, their clients can see how important it is to have a good accountant and a good lawyer to assist them to find, to navigate uh, the, the seas. Um, and, and make sure that you don't uh, take any actions that can cause problems for the companies in the future. Uh, yes. But it's very interesting. I, I, I didn't know the item about not being able to fire after two years without a just cause. That is that is something that's different to Brazil, uh, but interesting. It's it's really I can imagine it it, it changes a bit in your planning uh, when you when you're setting up a company there. Apart from the labor uh, side of things, you also have 
or an area that is very important for companies is taxes, corporate tax, et cetera. Christian, what would you say, what is the tax system like in Panama? Can you give us a summary? Can you explain a little bit more about, about how, how things are taxed? Yeah, there, there are a few basic taxes that are applied to companies. For example, when you when you open a company, you need to pay a registration fee that is $250, and then it's a registration fee, but you, you pay it annually, like $300, just to keep the company, I mean, open. I don't know, Michael, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There is an operations permit that after you open your co the company, it's like a 2% of the capital. It has a minimum of uh, like $100 and a maximum of $60,000 to operate. When you begin to make, you know, to operate, and then you're, you're charged an income tax, you have to file every year, you have to file uh, a tax return and mm -hmm. corporations paid for about 55% of their of the net income. I mean, incomeless taxes, you, you pay like 25%. The income tax is a territorial, so only applies to yeah, revenue produced in Panama. So you can have a company here that uh, that makes like international trades or away from Panama, and they don't have to pay taxes on their income. Uh, That's a very good benefit. Yes, the territoriality of, a, of the income tax in Panama is a very attractive, but there's also a complementary tax, okay? There's 4% 4, 4 of the next net taxable income, less mm -hmm. the tax you pay, the income tax you pay. And then the, this, when you're going to distribute profits, okay, or, or pay dividends, there's a 10% tax for, for distributing dividends. I mean, 10% of the dividend you plan to, to distribute. That is basically the... That there are those those five uh, types of incomes you need to pay when you when you have a company. Apart from what Marcus was talking about, the labor costs, like social okay. security, you have to pay an educational tax. Uh, but those are things related to labor. Well, not not actually operation of the company. Just just one question on a on a, a payroll individuals. What is the tax rate uh, rate for an individual person? Uh, in Brazil, it goes, for example, from zero to twenty-seven point five percent. In Panama, what is the what is the the ranges for for personal tax? From zero to like twenty-five percent, yeah, for to twenty-five percent personal income tax, yeah. Interesting. If you let me add to that, uh, Christian Warner. So basically, yep. for individuals, uh, the first eleven thousand dollars net income of a year, it's uh, it's non-taxable, and then from eleven thousand okay. dollars to fifty thousand dollars a year, it's a uh, fifteen percent. And then above fifty thousand dollars, it's a twenty-five percent. So, so that's how. That's a that's a top the top limit then. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Individuals. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, Panama Panama is is famous for a number of different things for the Panama Canal, etc., for the banking institutions, but also these there has been some history of financial operations, etc., that that uh, were, were questioned, and with that. I know some procedures and some laws are brought in for anti-money laundering and, and protection for, for foreigners that want to operate and operate in and with Panama. So, Marcos, these, these the KYC and AML procedures, how does, it, how does that affect business in, in Panama? And that, afterwards, Christian, I'll, I'll pass on to you as well with your, your specialist training in that, that, that area as well. So, I mean, I believe uh, from, from my experience that uh, AML laws and uh, in Panama, I stricter than many other countries, especially the United States, because we have a, a very strict, I mean, scheme to to identify clients. I mean, to open a, a banking account or open a, I mean, a securities account, I mean, a savings account, 
is it's a very long and you know hard process because you have to to show everything from your income to whatever your operation is or whatever you do apart from update identify yourself and give all this information you have to, to you have to document it kyc in panama is a, a i mean very strict then the usual which is a, you know monitoring of transactions uh, and you have to to show what, what that the transaction that you do are in in accordance with your activity so but yes i believe it's it's very strict and it it's cost it has cost panama um i mean very hard it's been very hard for panama because we, we've lost business because of it because we, it's very strict one of the strictest i i've worked with companies in united states in peru costa rica el salvador nicaragua and and we have one of the strictest uh, amn laws uh, in the region so yeah. it's yes it definitely has cost us uh, a lot in in terms of doing business so easy if you go to the united states you go, you go with your passport you go with the nothing you do you don't have to show anything so you, you open an account with just, just your, your passport so uh, it's very very difficult for us very difficult for us because there is a pressure internationally for whatever transparency and, yeah. yeah you know the panama papers uh, the gray list there's a pressure internationally for countries like us to be uh, in compliance with international laws of uh, anti-money laundering and financing of terrorism. Very hard, but uh, I mean, we've been like uh, getting used to it. Um, it's very hard for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm on mute you, but Marcus, what is your, your take? What is, how's, what's your sense of how things have changed? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Christian on that. Uh, Panama uh, right now, uh, we can, we who are here in the country, we can see uh, information or news in the, in the newspaper about uh, the Panamanian AML rules uh, or opinions. Every every other month, there is some news, some information about it. Uh, every other year or every year, we are having uh, updates uh, on the local regulations. Uh, and and I can I, I can relate to to the KYC and AML being applicable uh, worldwide because it's a worldwide movement. Uh, but uh, I can relate with Christian and the fact that in Panama it's a little bit stricter by the fact that uh, last November Panama just passed a law uh, where they are demanding the resident resident agents of corporations to basically be, uh, be the, the the policy watchdog watchdog for the government. So basically, we now have to request our clients uh, how it works like this: any corporation which is a local corporation filing income tax reports in Panama, so they are good; they are exempted of this new regulation. But any corporation who does not transact within Panama, so basically it's a Panamanian offshore company, it's a Panamanian company who just does business abroad or is a holding company or so on, uh, we must request from the client the transactional report and with supporting evidence of their accounting records. So for example, they gotta provide to us uh, at least a balanced uh, ledger of their transactional activities. And then the clients, they, they are not very happy with this, uh, I can imagine that information is to, to be kept uh, confidential, but uh, the lawyers we were given until April 15th, this law is from November, so we were given until April 15th uh, right now, unless the government extends that, for us to communicate to the government, notify the government, the list of companies that we were provided that supporting evidence, uh, accounting records, uh, and ver and versus the list of companies that did not provide us that. Uh, on the subject of being demanded to enforce them to do it. And if they don't, we are subject to renounce as agents within five or 15 days. 
uh, otherwise subject to very, very stiff penalties for the attorneys and for the company. This is very high penalties. They have like something like $1,000 or $5,000 first time, plus $500 a day. So it's a, it's a very, it's a very complicated scenario right now. And okay. uh, the attorneys, they are trying to file an illegality, uh, uh, inconstitutional, inconstitutional lawsuit against this law because we haven't seen other other countries coming up with such a strict requirement. Puts a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of, of the lawyers and the other, other service providers. Entity, I mean, the banks, the securities firm, we, we are penalized very, I mean, very high with non-compliance or, or whatever they find in their in when they make their the revisions whatever they find that we we didn't comply or we failed to comply we can be uh, you know find them very steep so. just, just just to add to that christian for example we have colleagues uh, attorneys just so you know in panama to be a resident agent of a corporation it must be an attorney or a law firm only so okay. it cannot be just uh, an individual it cannot any be individual accountant. it must be lawyers all right. Okay. So the European Union, the OECD, they are demanding Panama to create uh, something similar to how it works in the Caribbean, where for you to be an agent in the company, you're going to have a, an agent's license. Of course, the attorneys are also against that, that because they just want to be an agent as we've always been, just by being lawyers or attorneys. So they are demanding that. And we have colleagues, uh, lawyers, who... Uh, the burden on us, on us right now is so high regarding KYCs and AML that what, right now we have to get uh, uh, like Christian's uh, uh, trainings on, on AML and KYC, or we have to hire uh, compliance officers. So many attorneys are just renouncing to be agents uh, and don't want to do the business anymore. And others are taking on the financial cost or burden to, to contract, uh, you know, uh, KYC AML experts to follow up through all of these uh, things. I have colleagues who've been penalized already, like with penalties such as $5,000, $25,000, some law firms even $50,000 for matters related to KYC and AML. So yes, it is a, a very harsh topic right now in the country, so so yes. Interesting, interesting. And I mean, I mean that is important for, for foreign investors and, and, and companies to know when, when they come in again to similar thing to uh, protection of data that is happening in uh, globally as well is very important to to be in line and to make sure that you have uh, the correct orientation of that in each country that you that you operate in. Christian, something of, of interest we, which I've seen in my dealings in across Latin America that a lot of the countries are moving to uh, electronic invoicing, and uh, Panama, I imagine, is is already moved on to to that as well. Yes, we we did, and since 2016, we we just began to implement a, a electronic invoicing. Right now, in this phase of implementation, they're, they're doing like uh, duplicating the the invoicing. You you get a cashier receipt, and uh, you also get like an email with an invoice. But uh, it goes in phases, right? When is the the idea to have it fully operational in the final phase? Uh, for you, like first this year. Okay, and um, okay. they're just regulating it in the financial industry right now. Uh, I believe uh, it's not going to be done by July 1st. They, they, they're going to have you to issue uh, to make it later. So they, basically what they want to do is boost the, the economy, the digital, the digital economy, and 
um, facilitate tax compliance for for many uh, digital. It, it makes life a lot easier. I know from from again from my experience in Brazil to calculate taxes, to file and, and to control uh, information between the country, well, between the companies, etc. It's it really yeah. is a is a interesting, uh, a beneficial, uh, I would say. Yes, um, I believe so. And Marcos. Uh, one final question, and then we can go over to. I see we, we've had received a couple of questions from our participants. So, Marcus, one final question for you, and then we go over to the questions that I received. Uh, how is uh, arbitrage uh, re regulated in in Panama, and is something that that people uh, normally uh, use? Okay, interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, it's very effective. Uh, so, Panama has had several regulations on uh, arbitrage and mediation in the country. The most, the most common right uh, one uses uh, the, the arbitration center by the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Agriculture and Industries of Panama. Uh, and uh, we recommend clients to opt for, for the two options. Either you, when you're doing a contract, you can select uh, by, 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 by getting the regular jurisdiction in court or by selecting uh, the arbitration uh, clauses. Uh, and it's very funny because on the practice in the country, we see that those parties who are not interested in arbitration clause, they will push to have the regular jurisdiction in the clauses, in the conflict clauses. But the ones who are interested on, uh, who are not interested on the judiciary clauses, they'll go for arbitration. Why I say this? Because arbitration as everywhere, it can be much, much faster to resolve conflict than on the regular court. Uh, we have cases where uh, on a regular court, we can take easily from, if it is a commercial or lawsuit from uh, two years to three years, while and okay. if it is a civil lawsuit from three years to five years easily, while if we use an arbitration clause, uh, we've done it within five months to eight months to, to obtain a, a sentence, a final rule, a final arbitration rule. So, uh, but uh, there is a high cost as well involved to go on arbitration. So uh, we only recommend clients to use arbitration clauses in Panama for important transactions, all right? And by important transactions, I mean, this can be subjective, but uh, for values above $100,000, $200,000, and up 500,000, million to million, uh, on those scenarios, our clients are happy to, to, to seek for the arbitration, you know, alternative method of, of conflict resolutions uh, versus the, the judicial method. Interesting. Um, I mean, that's something, again, similar to our foreign companies, et cetera, will we'll find something similar that, uh, the court is normally much slower uh, than, than arbitration. Specifically, I think in LATAM itself, uh, you can find that. Also, Werner, the cost is related to the total amount of the, of the deal. So, for example, uh, a transaction, a $300,000 arbitration uh, case, uh, we would have to pay approximately on arbitration costs up front, approximately $35,000 to $40,000 uh, just to get it started. And that's aside from the legal fees. While uh, one million to two million dollars uh, arbitration clause uh, case that on value, uh, it would cost just an arbitration fees close to a hundred thousand dollars. And how it is done is that whoever is initiating the, the arbitration uh, has right. to pay fifty percent, and then okay. the other party pays the other fifty percent. But if the other party doesn't consignate the money, then uh, the plaintiff has to put it. Otherwise, the case uh, is archived. And by our experience, usually the, the defendant will not put the money. Of course. So, but but once once the money is confirmed and they are notified, then they get representation and they get into the case without having paid nothing. Of course, if they lose the case, 
uh, they are to reimburse the total costs. So True. it can be very expensive to initiate an arbitration uh, procedure in the country, but it's very okay. uh, worth it uh, depending on, on the case. Uh, yeah. And the time and the time that you save at the end of the day with, exactly. with, with uh, and uh, you guys mentioned earlier uh, about Panama Panamanian offshore companies. Uh, this is a, a question that Peter uh, has for for Christian. Christian offshore companies must maintain accounting records in Panama, or how how is that regulated and and done in in, in practice? Yes, uh, recently, also in 2016, that almost the time that everything happened in terms of uh, AML compliance and tax. That's uh, 2016, 2015. So yes, the short question is yes, they, they must uh, keep accounting records and financial statements, accounting records for, for five years at least. Okay. It was implemented into law. I mean, they do have to right now. And be, be, before then it wasn't uh, it wasn't regulated by law. Now for since 2016, yeah. you, you, must, uh, you must have it. Uh, you didn't have to have a, any accounting records. Uh, and, and just for interest, uh, interest sake, in order for companies to be audited, is there any regulation that uh, they need to be specific size or, you know, what is what is the rules for, for companies to be, uh, to have a statutory audit on a yearly basis? So, for example, in, in Brazil, companies that has a revenue of, let's say, 100 million, they need to have, be audited uh, on a yearly basis. Companies that, that uh, has a small operation or that has... A certain structure they don't need to be audited so they can have their accounting but it doesn't need to be reviewed by a, an auditor like gng for example in in uh, okay. panama is yeah. a is a specific requirements or minimum requirements for firms to be to be audited it is uh, the custom i mean to be audited once a year but and not you don't have to i mean you don't have to be audited okay. because it works and, and is beneficial for companies to be audited and have audited financial statements when they're going to apply for credits with the financial institutions. So, but what is required for, I mean, in Panama, are for the companies that are regulated, I mean, the entities that are regulated, when I say regulated, I mean, banks, securities companies, issuers of any financial instrument in the Panama Stock Exchange, they do have to be uh, audited every year, depending on, the, on their fiscal year. And yeah, but no, there there's no requirement for 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 companies to be audited. And uh, a question from Susan uh, for to Marcos: Is there any specific uh, legal framework for uh, digital currencies and blockchain? Uh, that is also something that is now much more uh, in the news and and uh, in our in our daily lives. That's a great question. Well, Panama Panama financial system. It's very conventional, all right, for the reasons that we, we spoke previously, that we have a big banking system here, so in a small country, so it's very much monopolized. Why I say this? Because for that very reason, Panama don't still, doesn't still have even uh, uh, neobank uh, laws or uh, regulations for neobanks or for uh, payment processors, okay? Like you do have in Brazil, you have in England, uh, you have in many countries, Panama, it's, it's, it's backlog on that area. And, and, and then the same for digital currencies and tokens. Uh, what happens is that since 2008 or 2009, uh, there has been projects in the Congress to approve a legislation related to uh, neobanks or, 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 or payment processes, okay? Like PayPal and so on. But they haven't passed because it wasn't of the interest of the local banking uh, monopolized system to, to allow for that, 
Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so I focus on this always because now we have the whole uh, crypto movement worldwide. And yeah, so after what happened in El Salvador last year, the uh, many countries are coming up with, you know, uh, trying to not lose that wave of movement uh, to try to, to, to come into legislations on that. Uh, and Panama is not behind on that. So right now in the Congress, we have approximately five different uh, bills, uh, projects, uh, and out of the five, two are being revised uh, by the subcommission on, on debate. Uh, but the, what they are trying to do is put them together, all of those ideas together, to try to regulate uh, crypto uh, exchanges, tokens, coins, uh, you know, for digital currencies, uh, payment processors, uh, neo banks, all of that together. Uh, we don't know what's gonna come out far from that, but I do personally expect us to have some approval or something by the end of the year. Uh, it's an expectation I have. Uh, in fact, our president was talking about it a few days ago on national TV. But no, Panama still don't have it, yet uh, it is a jurisdiction that because of the deregulation we have or the non-regulation we have, we've seen many, many, many crypto investors or many crypto uh, businesses taking advantage of the legal infrastructure of Panama or the legal uh, structures to set up uh, businesses, to set up exchanges and so on. Which by the way, the new legislations on, on, on projects right now uh, they also uh, are trying to tax the crypto business. So crypto transactions, crypto. So it's all of that taxation of the digital era. Uh, that's a very important for them. They even had on that like a, an option, a proposal to tax it by 30% uh, mining, uh, crypto mining companies to come to the country, which is nonsense. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they got to understand the business and, and make taxation laws, I mean, crypto laws, you know, that goes along with that. But exactly. uh, Panama has very much opportunity to, to be a leader on this area, as long as they work hard on that, uh, because of all of the infrastructure Panama has for that. Right now, no regulations yet. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That has brought us to the end of our call today. Uh, we want to thank you again to our panel and uh, thank you as well to our audience for joining us today. This has been a Vantage Worldwide Panama edition brought to you by Abacus Worldwide. And please don't forget to find other episodes in the series on your favorite podcast app. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing you again at our next uh, edition. Thank you, everybody. And have a wonderful day. Thank you all. Thank you.